Welcome back to another episode of the Breathe Easy Practical PH series. I'm Megan Cyrilis, your host. On today's episode, we will take a look at an alternative path to a fulfilling career in the realm of pulmonary vascular disease. I am fortunate to be joined by Drs. Rebecca Vanderpool and Andrea Frump, who are both early career researchers studying pulmonary hypertension. Let's jump right in. Dr. Vanderpool, can you give us an introduction? Yeah, I'm at The Ohio State University, and I am currently in the Division of Cardiovascular Medicine. I'm a assistant professor, just joined the tenure track as a tenure track assistant professor here, and yeah, focusing on right ventricular function using CMR imaging, as well as RV pressure waveforms to quantify right ventricular dysfunction in patients with pulmonary hypertension. Um, this is where I'm at currently, but I moved during the pandemic from um, the University of Arizona, where I was a non-tenure track assistant professor, where I got my foot in the door of starting my own independent lab. And I was there for about four and a half years, continuing similar research that I am here. So got that, got started there and moved here. Congratulations on the, the tenure track promotion. That's yeah. great. What about you, Andrea? Where where are you at currently? Currently, I am at Indiana University at the School of Medicine, Department of Medicine, Division of Pulmonary Critical Care, Sleep and Occupational Medicine. Um, I am a PhD scientist, a developmental molecular biologist by training. Um, I was also promoted to tenure track during, actually, I was promoted during the pandemic, uh, July 2020 was when I started on tenure track. Um, I finished my postdoc here. And I study, you have not only the basic science folks, but the RV folks today. Um, I also study right ventricular failure. I study the molecular drivers of pulmonary hypertension induced right ventricular failure. Well, the RV is my favorite ventricle, so I'm glad to be surrounded by both of you. Um, so we, we talked about it a little bit with Rebecca, but, um, maybe Rebecca, you could share a little bit more about how you got to the place you are, you know, what was your path from undergrad and forward? Yes. Yes. It's, it's been quite a path. So my degree is in biomedical engineering. I got my bachelor's and PhD at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in biomedical engineering. And then I did my first postdoc in Brussels, Belgium, working more with clinical data. And then I did a second postdoc at the University of Pittsburgh. And then I moved to the University of Arizona for the non-tenure track position. And then now I'm here at Ohio State. The In terms of research and what I've focused on that has changed throughout the my career, uh, my PhD was actually on isolated mouse lungs, looking at the effect of pulmonary vascular remodeling on pulmonary vascular impedance. So how do the structural changes affect the, the blood flow in the lungs? Working with isolated mouse lungs, isolating them out and, and working with them. When I moved to Belgium, I was working more with clinical data, and um, that's kind of where I started to move into a little bit more of translational research. At Pittsburgh, I combined both of those, looking at RV function in uh, mouse and rat models of pulmonary hypertension, but then also working with the translational clinical data. And I've kind of combined the two and added on imaging now in yeah. my investigations. Yeah, a winding path, but it seems like I've been in sort of pulmonary biology uh, since the beginning. 
how much of that was driven by your interest in that versus kind of the lab you ended up in as an undergraduate? I always wonder about that. So I didn't do any undergrad research. I started my research career as a grad student in Naomi Chesler's lab, and a lot of it was driven by the interest in the lab, working with the isolated mouse lungs, chronic hypoxia, and then get diving into the other side of the, the valve of looking at the right ventricle. And it just kind of started there. Really, my entry point and my interests were fluid dynamics. Mm. How how does the blood flow change in the cardiovascular system and the the lung cardiovascular the lung fluid dynamics is a interesting area to look at and so that was kind of my in and now I've now I've stayed around yeah it's cool to see how you crafted a a niche that really fits with your interests with the biomedical engineering as well so that's really interesting and what about you Andrea give us your story (laughs) oh it's a story um I will give you the short version. It is also a long and winding story. Um, So I actually did start in undergrad. I was really interested in my biochemistry class. I found my professor that taught it, Dr. Rekha Patel. This was at the University of South Carolina. I thought she was amazing. So I went up to her after class and asked if I could maybe work in her lab. And she said, yes. So that's what I did. Uh, It was my sophomore year. So I did that all through until I graduated. And so her lab studied uh, PACT and PKR signaling. So these are pathways that are activated by double-stranded RNA, either produced by a virus or even cellular activation of that pathway. And so I really got into the molecular stuff early on. So from that, after I graduated and I had different internships and summer research programs that I did with her, um, she asked if I was trying to decide between medical school and grad school. And she asked if I wanted to do my master's as like kind of like a gap year type thing. So I did my master's degree in a gap, like as a gap year. Um, So I, that project was studying, I did a yeast two hybrid. So I basically identified and cloned at that point a completely undescribed protein that was an inhibitor of PACT. Um, So that was my master's project. And from there, I joined the PhD program at Vanderbilt. And I actually started in a cancer biology lab. So the first four, four and a half years of my PhD were actually studying synovial sarcoma. So that's what I started with. And a lot of happened with that lab. And I had to join a different lab. And it was a case of I'm a grad student four years into my degree. I am burnt out, exhausted, but I know I want my PhD. So who will take me? And it was Mark DeCastiker and his lab focused on BMP, bone morphogenetic protein signaling. And half of it did pulmonary hypertension and the other half did acute kidney injury. And that was kind of where those two diseases or syndromes kind of merged was through BMP signaling. So the next four and a half years of grad school for me, so I had like eight, eight and a half years of grad school, uh, were focused on pulmonary hypertension. And I was studying different BMPR2 mutation types and severity of disease and whether or not they they affected severity of disease using uh, a combination of, of human samples and mouse models. Obviously, Vanderbilt has a great um, hereditary pulmonary arterial hypertension cohort 
Um, so I was really able to to collaborate with with those investigators. And so from there, I graduated with my PhD. It was technically in cell and developmental biology. And I had a really hard time finding a postdoc. <laughs> I applied to like 50 postdocs. I could not find a postdoc job. And eventually I had somebody connect me with Tim Lom. Just cold email. Hey, Tim, <laughs> my name's Andrea. I'm looking for a postdoc. Um, so he took a gamble on me. I think I was his first PhD postdoc ever. Um, and I joined his lab at Indiana University and I shifted from BMPR2 mutations to sex hormone signaling and pulmonary hypertension. And then I got into the right ventricle in his lab. So that was another six years. <laughs> so. Oh, what a long path, but here you are now. So congratulations. Um, and sounds like you found something you're passionate about. That's great. Well, we've heard a little bit about some of the challenges, I guess, before we dive into more of the challenges of uh, potentially this path, what are the things that you both like the most about your job now that you've kind of found, found a niche and found a place, place for you? Maybe Andrea, go ahead. and. Okay. Um, I really love the people that I meet both, you know, at like the PI level, as well as the student level, trainee level, technician level. Like, I really enjoy working and meeting these these people with diverse backgrounds, diverse experiences, and they all kind of contribute to a common goal. And that's really been fun. It's really challenging. It opens, you know, your perspective on things. And so that's probably one of my favorite parts is meeting all kinds of new collaborators and people to work with and, mm -hmm. and kind of coming together as a team. Um, I love learning. So... I, anytime I can get into a lab and kind of play around, it's like play to me. I love just playing around and doing these experiments and seeing what works and what doesn't work and kind of identifying a new pathway that way. Hmm. Um, so that's always really been a passion of mine is, is getting into the lab and figuring things out. Um, I also, you know, I, those are the main things that I would love. I would say I love. Yeah. Definitely takes a certain type of person to love failing at experiments and yeah, failing out, so. over and over and over again. So that's okay because you learn from it. I knew that was not for me. So good for you, <laughs> um, Rebecca. What about you? What's the, what are the things that you value most about your job? Yeah, I I think it's also the people, the network, the collaborations, um, the learning about research from friends or building friends within the community and learning about what they're doing. Um, but then also, yeah, the people are fun. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the parts that I find very fun and interesting about the, about the work <laughs> now is working with new investigators. So like students in the lab and teaching them about the physiology and some of the very interesting physiology that happens with uh, with things like exercise or the pathophysiology of pulmonary hypertension and how the right ventricle can really remodel with pH and kind of exploring that different physiology is very interesting, or I, I find it very interesting to, to learn more about the physiology, to learn about how it's measured clinically, how do physicians take these measurements and apply them for patient care. Uh, 
yeah, mm. it's, yeah, working with the technology, working with students, working with collaborators, building a network, working within, working within the ATS community, the Pony Circulation Assembly has some great members, and yeah, building a cohort amongst ourselves of other investigators that are also looking at these problems and diseases. Yeah, it seems like within certain areas of pulmonary vascular disease, there's clusters of people that, you know, you see a lot on papers together and, and working together. So that's a, a nice, unique thing that you can be involved with. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And also the technology and ideas have changed throughout the years. So learning about new things, the new um, genes that are discovered that contribute to pulmonary hypertension, new findings with imaging. And I also find that very interesting of <laughs> kind of the, the changes that are that are happening and being involved with it. Yeah, it is pretty exciting. It seems like for the last 10 decade and probably the next decade, there's just immense amounts of changes happening within treatment options and diagnosis, like you said. Awesome. All right, let's get to the real meat. What have been the challenges? Everyone talks about how hard it is to be a scientist. Um, so tell our audience what you think has been the hardest part of this career path for you. And and I guess also with that, have you ever thought or wished you were in a different career path? Um, um, I think one of the biggest challenges is funding, kind of being able to have the resources as well as the kind of ability to, to get grants and to get the funding. It's a more and more competitive funding situation that it it takes time as well as commitment from your institution, division, and kind of that support, especially as young investigators. I think a big a big challenge for us now have has been the the um, pandemic, having the COVID implications on the things that we like about research, the network, building up those connections, going to conferences, learning new new things, and mm -hmm. that has definitely been I think a challenge in the recent years is that impact on networking. Um, in terms of thinking about other careers, yeah, I think along the way there's there's typically been a major, not necessarily turning mm. point, but certain points along the career path where you kind of question, is this the path for me? Kind of one during the PhD, one during the postdoc, one, one during um, the professor period of time. So I, I think there's always that question mm. and when it leads to staying in research, you stay in research. And other times you kind of have to weigh the pros and cons and think, okay, do I want to explore options outside? And I think it's a natural part of this profession because we're there's a lot of uncertainty, uncertainty about grant funding, uncertainty about results, and we have to be okay with it. All right, Andrea, spill the beans. What's been the hardest part for you? <laughs> um, well, before I start, I want to preface this with every challenge you face is really just an opportunity to learn about yourself, about the other people around you, and about what you value. Mm. Um, so for me, 
the biggest challenge throughout my career until probably I recently, and I know it's going to start back up again in another year because um, I got an R1. It's been the uncertainty and the uh, and the instability of this job. Like I might not have a job in three months <laughs> like if I can't get funding. Hmm. Um, so what it really, and, and that was the case for me in grad school as well, is just that instability. And I think what I learned from that is really I value an environment where the people around me are supportive mm -hmm. and they're going to do their best to help me succeed. And these are mentors. These are coworkers. These are my friends in the field. Um, so I think I really learned to value those connections and that environment from that challenge. <laughs> so that was that's probably been the biggest challenge for me personally throughout my career. It's just accepting that instability mm -hmm. and that uncertainty. Um, I would say, you know, learning how to fail and receive criticism and accept the criticism that is helpful to you and constructive to you and just completely forgetting the criticism that's just somebody in a bad mood. <laughs> that's also another challenge. Hmm. In grad school, it was not having a lot of say in terms of what happened to me and what was going on around me. Like I was right. that cancer lab closed due to lack of funding. Um, so that really drove home the reality to me of what mm. it is to be an academic um, and to be a basic scientist in a medical center. Like this is the reality of this job. This can happen. Um, so I think and nobody helped me after that. Like it was good luck. Find another lab <laughs> or take your master's and leave. So I think those those it's a business and these are business decisions. And so accepting that reality is also mm -hmm. important lesson to learn. Yeah. Um, I would say those are probably the biggest challenges. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Both of you had really good insight. Thank you for sharing that. Did you have something else you wanted to add? Yeah, yeah I did actually expanding on that from Andrea of, I think an important lesson that I also learned was learning learning the environment and also learning that different labs within the same university can have different environments, different institutions can have different environments and finding what works for you, what type of mentor style works for you, and also holding on to mentors throughout the career and finding new mentors, <laughs> kind of a broad spectrum mm -hmm. of mentors that have these different styles that you can learn from. Have you felt like you always, I mean, I guess you've had mentors and then you've moved away from those places. And I know, uh, at least Andrea, I know you still are, you know, very close with, with Tim. Um, my question is, do you feel, how have you gained those mentors? Has it always been at the institution that you have been working in or through connections or what's been kind of the, the most successful way to get effective mentorship? Well, for me, um, a source of stress has always been you need to build a network and you absolutely do. But I am very introverted. And that is like, how do I do that? How am I going to go up to this person and say, hey, do you want to collaborate? Uh, but the reality is, is half the time, yes, you do have to do that. And the other half the time, you just kind of stumble into it. <laughs> so You don't have it just kind <laughs> of happens. Um, so with mentors, obviously, you have your direct mentors the people whose lab you join, who you learn from. Um, 
it, other mentors, it has just been, hey, you're doing something really cool. Can I talk to you about it? Or, mm. hey, you got this grant. How did you do that? <laughs> or, you know, and, and they just kind of naturally fall into place. Um, when you have a division full of people that study similar things, you kind of have these meetings with as a division and you kind of can foster relationships through those interactions. And so you suddenly have mentors that way. Um, yeah, network is the same way. Like, I don't know how our early career group kind of all got together, but we're a really strong early career group. And it's great to go to conferences and know that you know somebody in pretty much every session you could possibly go to. Um, and it's just, that just kind of naturally happened. <laughs> it just happened. And um, yeah. and then you had working groups like Rebecca established through the ATS and the Pulmonary Circulation Assembly that was able to more formally establish those networks and connections, which has been incredibly helpful. Um, so my advice would be to get involved in these committees and working groups and programs if you can. Um, and, and that helps to kind of naturally establish those networks and connections and mentors. Yeah, I found that to be really helpful as well, obviously coming from a different career path, but being involved in different societies and the different groups and early career working groups, et cetera, has really helped with networking and knowing people nation nationally and internationally um, that are doing the same things as yeah. we are. So it's cool. And for anybody who's listening who might not know how to join those groups, <laughs> it's literally just showing up to the meeting or like emailing the person in charge and saying, hey, I want to join this group. That is literally how that works. Just, just oh, show up or email and say, I want to join. Yeah, it can feel really daunting sometimes, especially for those that are not super extroverted, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, did you have anything else you wanted to add about the, the sort of mentorship question? Yeah, a lot of my mentors are probably institution-based, so mentors that I worked with at the institutions. But in terms of networking, my strategy obviously has been, you want to network with all of the big names, but that can be difficult. They all have their circles that they network with and talk with and have meetings with. And so I actually can put a lot of my effort into networking, networking with my peers, building up the working group, building up a peer community that we do know each other at conferences. And some of that probably started with the University of Pittsburgh and working in the Vascular Medicine Institute, where there were a lot of postdocs involved in pulmonary vascular research. And so we would go to conferences and have a group, and then it's kind of bringing people along. That and... is how that started. <laughs> yeah, that's how it started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and kind of building the the group and building those interactions because conferences are more fun when you're <laughs> when you're talking with people. And oh, cool. yeah, that's great advice. I did want to add one last thing before, because I, I cannot forget this. Another key for me in building a network and meeting people is I actually have to not have to acknowledge Tim Long because he was my postdoc mentor but he was absolutely insistent on taking me to all of these parties at these conferences and introducing me to people mm. he made sure when he gave a talk with with some of our data in it he made sure to say hey this is the person that did this work like he really went it was really important to him and I'm incredibly appreciative of him mm for ensuring that, you know, he really took me around and introduced me to people. And so I think if you can find one of your primary mentors who's like that, or who you feel comfortable asking, hey, can I follow you around at this conference and meet people? Um, I think that is a really good way to, to meet kind of the 
uh, higher ups or more established PIs in the field. And it's not as intimidating. Yeah, that's that difference between mentorship and sponsorship, right? It sounds like it's a, yeah. a great sponsor for you uh, throughout your career. So hoping we can all pass that forward as we get more experienced. Yes. Definitely. Okay. So as we wrap up, uh, if you could tell younger you or a younger version of you that's entering into this career path, sort of one piece of advice, what would it be? Okay. I would say, and this is a very broad, I would say, don't be afraid because it's, again, that uncertainty in this career path, it's okay. Like you'll be okay. Whatever happens, you'll be okay. And I think that that was advice I probably needed to hear <laughs> because I thought every single roadblock or challenge in my path meant the end and it never did. So just keep going. You'll find a new route. Even if it's not a straight path, who cares? It's more interesting to take the scenic route. Um, just keep going and don't be afraid. Would be my advice to myself. <laughs> so. That's good advice. Rebecca? So I think my advice would be to embrace the uncertainty of there's uncertainty with research, with experiments, but then also with life and keep an eye out for the open door or that that path, that open path that you might not know about. Also, embrace the challenges, get uncomfortable. Try the try something that is outside of your wheelhouse because that might be an area. It might be that open door that that path that is actually the one that you want to take. Kind of take the blinders off and make sure that you're being open to different things. It sounds like because that might be the way forward. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Okay. Well, Rebecca and Andrea, I just want to thank you so much for spending time out of your busy schedules, I'm sure, um, talking with us today. And I think we've shared some really important insight about a research career in pulmonary vascular disease. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And, you know, for the more clinically minded colleagues in your audience, we love interacting with clinical perspectives it challenges us. We love collaborating with you. You have great ideas. So please, please, please reach out and collaborate. It's great. As long as you're not going to make me do a Western blot, I'm cool with that. I got those. <laughs> I can do that part. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks.